I don't know what, what this exactly means. The specific question that I wanted to sort of solve for myself was that is the revised deal done on appropriate terms in comparison with the, the previous deal as the company claims. On the plus side, you've got the updated structure, meaning that Leo avoids dilution. However, you've got the added significance that it's not just 5%, but that 5% now means that Gangfang has a controlling stake. It brings about the question, should Gangfang have paid a premium above what the 5% is supposedly worth to become the controlling partner? And I don't think we've got any better example than the case we just spoke about, you know. What would Greatland do to be in control of their own destiny there? They'd, oh. give, they'd give an arm and a leg for it. Totally. G'day, Money Miners. We've replaced uh, Matty Michael with a, the newest member of the Money of Mine team. His name is Monty. Hey, buddy. Say good day, Monty. Hey, Monty. Say good day. <laughs> He's a bit camera shy, I reckon. He's a little bit camera shy, but Monty's <laughs> the, the newest mascot of the Money of Mine team. And hey, he, we're doing the Rido Money Miners pretty soon. Don't you worry. He's the reason we're filming from my house today and not our <laughs> brand new Flash Studio, JD. I'm so gonna... you might notice Money Miners that we are one man short. Maddie is out of the office doing BD work in Sydney, but we've got a, uh, got a great show in store for the Money Miners today. Don't we, Trav? We've got Leo Lithium. Great Land Gold is going to get a, a bit of a play. Sigma Lithium is also getting a bit of airtime, but we're going to start the show with a bit of macro from some uh, local and international big names in the investing community. I'm excited about the macro, mate. You're, uh, you follow this pretty closely and it influences all commodities. Um, but before we get there, we've just got to give a bit of a shout out to our partners, JP Search, which I'm pretty, pretty pumped to um, give them a bit of a wrap. These guys are doing wonders placing people left, right, and center in the in the corporate finance industry, mate. And they are Xavier and Michael. That's them. They're they've actually got like these um, incumbent mandates with some of the pretty like very very cool organizations in and around Perth. I'm going to ask if they're going to let me name drop some of them, but you can think even some of the guests that we've had on the show, they do work for recruiting at some of those organizations, um, which are pretty high caliber really, really reputable corporate development teams, investment banks, family offices. That's it. If you're, if you're a uh, corporate or an individual, get in touch with Xavier and Michael and see what they can do for you. Beautiful. And the other one is Anytime Exploration, mate. Seamus Murphy. <laughs> a great love of Matty Michael's. <laughs> uh, which Matty Michael tells me is able to do absolutely anything. I'm pretty sure it's Exploration Services. but uh, Yeah, labour hire, core cutting. <laughs> All of the works. Our very first sponsor as well. So we owe a lot to Anytime Exploration Services. Well, get in touch with Seamus Murphy. Wicked, mate. So tell me about this macro stuff that we need to be paying attention to. Mate, there's, there's a bit going on. And as it relates to uh, commodities, to small caps and the like, as well as, you know, the, the much broader stuff you're hearing about recession concerns and all that sort of stuff. It's pretty interesting. So there's some, you know, there's a few talks going on. There's been quite a bit of chatter this week from the likes of Jeremy Grantham, obviously the founder of GMO, a well-known, um, you know, known to be quite bearish uh, global investor. Also Phil King here in Australia, Patrick Hodgins and Mark Lander, all um, big names in the Aussie investment community making some noise. So as it sort of relates to commodities, a lot of the a lot of the chatter is pretty bullish. I got a quote from uh, Phil King, the obviously the founder of Regal here. So he's saying that there's some career defining moments in resources currently. <laughs> uh. 
So firstly, from the Regal founder, Phil King, he's saying that there's some career-defining moments in resources right now. So he likes resources generally, as well as quite specifically small cap resources, although he wasn't super constructive on the iron ore space, and that mainly comes about because of his thesis on China. On the on the flip side of that, you've got Mark Landau from L1 Capital, and as it relates to iron ore and the strength we've seen lately in the iron ore price, he sort of explains this by saying that they're expecting a bit of uh, stimulus to come out of China, which which makes sense. It's an understandable thesis. Everyone always backs the stimulus story out of China because they it's do, a strategy that's worked for so long. And we've been hearing it for a while now, mate. I've been hearing that that particular shout on the back of, you know, coming out of COVID for for quite some time. So we'll see how that plays out. That's going to well, have it. It's interesting that they have those views at the exact same time that we see the iron ore majors doing their absolute best to pivot into lithium. So I don't know if there's different conflicting views within the iron ore companies versus these. Um, 100%. I think, I think they're, they're strongly um, interrelated and geez, we'll, we'll sort of swing into that one with our, with our next story, but rounding out more um, broadly away from just resources, but on the small cap space, you've got Patrick Hodgins from Firetrail Investments. Now, he is bullish. I mean, he's used the words no-brainer when it comes to small caps, and that sits in line with a lot of the interviews we've done over the last couple of months, Trav. A lot of the uh, guys in the, the funds community space in Australia are very bullish on this sort of mean reversion and a few other dynamics of the, the small cap market at the moment. And the last investor I touched on was Jeremy Grantham. Now, he's known as a bit of a, a permeable. He's called a lot of bear markets. He's got a great track record. He's the founder of GMO, the Boston-based investor. And he is quite bullish on the long-term thematic for commodities. So you got the two sides of it. Supply, he's seeing a, a shortage. It really comes from out, about from a, a lack of discoveries and discoveries getting harder and harder, leading to that supply weakness. And then on the flip side of that, the sort of electrification of everything, if you like, kind of thesis is what's really going to instigate demand for the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years in his view. Mm. I'm curious to see how pans out i love i love hearing a bit of macro commentary i especially love it because um it's pretty easy to to, to uh I, I just feel like macro is so often you know based in these unfalsifiable hypotheses people have these views that are sometimes a bit more conjecture than scientific um there's just so many moving parts right it's, yeah it's so hard to nail down totally totally it's a it's an incredibly dynamic system modeling it's pretty tricky <laughs> nevertheless it's it's super fascinating in my opinion because you're really tying in everything that's going on whether it be you know in a particular country all around the world there's so many linked moving parts mm -hmm. that it just makes for fascinating research i reckon big time uh, yeah big time so trav i mentioned how that comment you made earlier about iron ore is going to relate to our next subject and that is sigma lithium so sigma is flying on on takeover talks they're up 15 percent. they're now capped at 5.4 billion canadian it's almost six billion bucks in aussie dollars so just when you thought we couldn't get enough lithium and when the money miners thought we couldn't get enough lithium consolidation talk there is more to be had but so this time it's it's a brazilian asset and it's a not an asx listed company so that's it canadian listed they hold the grota do cerillo asset in brazil they've just started producing up there it's got a reserve of 54.5 million tons at 1.44 percent and like you said in south america but it's a hard rock asset it's not a brine project so it's i mean there's a lot of intriguing dynamics about this one um, not least of all is the wording that the company has come out with with relation to the proposals so 
It said that it's received multiple strategic proposals and they went on to say that they are humbled and pleased by the strong interest in their business from global industry leaders in the energy, auto, batteries, and lithium refining industries. They also added that they're evaluating these strategic alternatives. Oh, there's a read-through on that, JD. Oh, there sure is, and we're going to get into it, mate. So A10 Investimentos is a Brazilian private equity group, and they own over 40% of the companies. So with regard to how a takeover would play out and be decided, Sigma said that the outcome of the strategic process, which they're undergoing, will be made at a shareholders meeting later this year, where the majority of minority shareholders will be required to make the deciding vote. So like I said, the wording was very intriguing with this one. You read through it and there's no real beating around the bush. The company is up for sale and they're pretty much admitting it. They've put a, they put a timeline on it. It's just it's just bizarre. They said it want, they want it done by this year. And you just think about the other processes in that lithium consolidation that we've spoken about so much in the past couple of weeks and in the past couple of months. You know, Liontown comes first and foremost to the, to the fore in my mind. And you think about how they reacted to the first few bids and how they really drove and strived to get the best value for shareholders. I mean, they didn't even reveal the first few <laughs> bids to the market. How's that for a, a contrast in negotiation style? I'm not sure if you've got any any thoughts from your yeah. your time in the M&A world, Mr. Ricardinho. Um, yeah, it's a bit different to what we've seen out there. Probably shouldn't be surprised though, when you've got a private equity group that owns 40% have had fantastic yep. returns um probably want to realize those returns you know private equity groups um you know often have they, there's, a, there's a timeline on that investment and they've got to realize it and where they realize it is you know in this case uh a, a sale of the company the wording's it's it's a very transparent you know where for sale <laughs> it's a for sale sign like pegged in the ground yeah, and, um, the, and you know, the rooftops humbled and, and pleased yeah fascinating normally like oh, when yeah yeah, like normally when we see things play out, it happens a bit differently to this. Um, boards are usually a little less forthcoming that they are for sale. Normally, you know, a bid leaks one way or another. Um, a data room is prepared, advisors run a process to get a competing bid and create some competitive tension. And then once value is maximized uh, and you choose the highest bid of the board, you know, recommends a transaction and happy days. But um, yeah, I, w I wonder in a few years time, what this is going to, you know, make me reflect on on the rule we we actually both have: never buy an asset off private equity. So we'll see. We need to give that one a bit of time to see how that all plays out, yeah, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I, being a Brazilian asset and not listed on our beloved uh, ASX, you know, we don't really have great insight on this one. So we asked mm. Mr. Lithium Joe Lowry. Now that he's um, a true friend of the podcast, we did for some brief insight. Uh, he's currently flying over the Pacific right now, but using the on-air Wi-Fi. He said it's a great asset, and uh, it has been clear that they are for sale for a long time. So thanks, Mister Lowry, for providing mm. that intel for us. Appreciate it. There we go. So next story, mate. Greatland Gold. We've spoken about Greatland in the past, and they actually, you know, we were we were thinking about writing up about them, and they actually came out in the midst of us actually writing up about them with an announcement that there are. Uh, their plans to list on the ASX have been put mm. on hold and they've had a bit of a, an injection of cash from Wailu. So mm. we'll get yeah. into the details of that a bit later on, but we'll give a bit of background because this is another one, just like Sigma, that isn't as of yet an ASX-listed company. So we'll get a bit of yeah. scope for the people that don't know about it. Thankfully, though, this one, the project is in WA, so we might actually have something valuable to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, mate. So like you said, projects in WA, it's up in the Patterson province. The the project we're talking about is their flagship asset, Haviron. So Haviron. 
Hey, you're on. Have her on. Have her on. Have her on. Jeez, not again, mate. All right. Have her on. Have her on. So the company's capped at about 600 million Aussie. Like we said, they're, they're London listed, LSE listed. That 600 million has come down a long way from late 2020, early 2021 time period. So it's a JV with Newcrest or soon to be Newmont. Mm. And that party, Newcrest at the moment, are the 70% owners of the business. And they are also the managers of the asset, which is quite important. So mm. in 2022, they turned down the chance to buy an extra 5%. That was independently, that value was independently set at uh, US 60 million after a bit of, you know, argy-bargy. We'll get into that later on again. I used to have a bit of a, um, it's, it's funny, right? So Greatland Gold, they're a non-controlling joint venture uh, interest. They've got a non-controlling joint venture interest in in a, in a good in an asset here. I used to have a bit of a, a funny running joke with some um, old colleagues that all of the the non-controlling joint venture interest um, part like companies should just all merge together, and you got one you know conglomerate of all of the non-controlling joint venture <laughs> interest parties. Back that, like back when I used to make this joke, there are a few about Gold Road comes to mind. Tuller was another one, and now they've obviously merged with Pantoro, so it's all the one company now. But you could have. Yeah, no, yeah. I like the thesis, mate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't get over the uh, pronunciation. We we'll have to get into that one later. <laughs> so, um, like we said, it, the uh, the ore body has a reserve of two point nine million ounces at a gold equivalent grade, so not just gold of three point seven grams per ton. So there's a, there's a bit of copper in there. So they're drilling a decline because this, you know, it is projected to be an underground project. So they're working in a decline. That is planned to be 2,800 metres. They've currently done already 800, 1,800 rather metres of that decline. Deep. And they are looking to, you know, in the feasibility study that they're working on, make a production of 3 million tonnes per annum, which mm. is, you know, for an underground project, Huge. it's, you know, as our as our colleague Maddie Michael would tell you, it's it's pretty hefty. So Yeah, but the, 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 importantly though, it's not too far away from... Telfar? That's right. Which, about 50-odd Ks. Yeah. And Telfar, massive mill. I think it's about 20-odd. Yeah, 18 or something like that. And that's, of course, owned by Newcrest, which makes it very, very relevant, which we'll get into again later. So we touched on Wilo tipping in a bit of money. There are quite a few links between Mr. Andrew Forrest and Fortescue. So you've got board members and execs who've got experience at both organisations, you know, Elizabeth Gaines, Mark Barnabar, Paul Hallam, and more. They are eight point Wailu, that is, are eight point five percent shareholders at the moment. And, you know, the word on the decline previously was that Bank of America had been uh, mandated to facilitate a listing in the second half of this year. So on the ASX. Yeah, in the period we're in right now. But that is, you know, as of uh, the last twenty four hours been put on hold. Mm, and that's the news, right? Yesterday Arvo like Greatland they they dropped this news that they're going to postpone their plans to list on ASX until FID on Haveron is reached. There's a bit to go into here and just bear, bear with me because it's quite quite a bit of um, insight, JD. But Greatland Gold, their, their cash has been declining because as a 30% non-controlling interest, you still got to stump up costs as, you know, the, this, these works are, are progressing, right? And that, um, that, that like distinction is key. They are a non-controlling, you know, shareholder. Yep. They are a minority shareholder. Yeah, yeah. They're sort of along for the ride, even though they discovered the asset. Yeah, uh, totally. And um, 
they hadn't updated well they haven't updated the market on their cash position since as at 31 december their cash position then was about aussie 32 million bucks um so you can imagine it's probably running pretty thin at the moment jd given we're now mid-september um and as part of the announcement that we saw put out by gatland yesterday Wailu, you mentioned being an 8.5% shareholder already, they're, they're tipping in a, an Aussie $50 million debt facility to Greatland Gold to assist with uh, Greatland's costs. It's probably worth pointing out the terms of this debt facility. So we've got the, the debt is going to be at BBSY plus 7.5% maturing the end of next year, calendar year, 3% upfront fee, 1% fee on drawdown. So in my numbers, the rough cost of debt is four plus seven point five plus three plus one equals fifteen and a half percent. For the four for those wondering is the BBSY, which is a sort of you know yep. reference yep. rate. Yep. The facility is stated to not be convertible into equity two. Um, and Greatland, they traded up 13% on the news, which I found fascinating. I'm not like, yeah, I find the fact that trade up 13% interesting. There's probably a bit of a read-through there about maybe it was a market factoring in that they will come raise and now they don't have to raise the money. Um, I'm still not convinced that it's great news for equity holders and that's something I'm keen to peel into throughout this combo. Absolutely. So that that is the, you know, the most recent announcement, but there's you know a lot more than meets the eye with this company and everything that's going on. And the real interesting aspect is the merger between or take-out of Newcrest by Newmont Mm -hmm. And what happens on the back of that? You know, it's mm. for a long time, you know, you've historically seen companies when they get together, these big companies, assets fall out the back. Yep. The less, you know, not top priority assets fall out the back. So that's yep. what we're really going to get into now. Yeah, they totally do fall out the back, especially the higher cost assets that might have a bit of a, you know, closure or rehab liability associated with not them. tier one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Telfer sort of fits fits the bill. So um, hence, hence we're gonna we're gonna pry into what we can learn about the assets from the documentations that's actually rolled through the market um, as a result of the scheme of arrangement between the two companies. Yeah, the eight hundred page schemes <laughs> and whatnot that yeah. we the money mine team read for the money miners. It's totally. So you can you can look at the um, the scheme booklet lodged on the asset, and the thing that is interesting to me is in these scheme booklets, you'll um, you'll get an independent expert provide a valuation of the companies and they will, um, you know, for mining companies, they'll break that valuation methodology down on an asset by asset basis. And we actually get a bit of information in seeing what did the inf in, uh, what did the independent expert value, you know, have run and tell for at. In this particular case, you go to page 276 of the, the 778 page scheme booklet. Uh, the independent expert, Grant Samuel, they value Telfer and Havron on a combined basis. So they didn't pull them apart um, in the range of US $500 to $600 million. So that's roughly $800 million Aussie dollars. And JD, you mentioned at the top of the segment that Greatland Gold, which has a market cap of about $600 million Aussie for a mere 30% of Havron. So it's fascinating that that's, the independent expert- 70% yeah. yeah. of Havron. Yeah. Plus the entirety of, of Telfer. For 800. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't quite stack up just based on the, the relative market pricings, right? And before we go into the weeds of the report, like let's talk about why the value matters here. 
there are a bunch of rumors that Telfer might end up on the chopping block. We we talked about this, right? You know, hence yeah. hence it matters. Jack Klein told us uh, Evolution would be interested in assets that may pop out of Newmont once the merger completes. Combine that with the fact that Greatland Gold themselves. I imagine are pretty keen to acquire the other 70% of, of Haveron. Um, they might look to develop it themselves or they might look to, um, you know, also pick up Telfer and use that as the, the way to process the ore themselves. So there are a bunch of parties in the mix. And when you're thinking about acquiring projects, the valuation that comes out of an independent expert report holds a fair bit of anchoring mm. weight. To and that, that, that picking up Telfer by Greatland is an interesting dynamic and whether they, they actually want to do that is something we'll touch on again later on mm. so so how did how did grant samuel get to its number right is this football field in the report which shows valuation ranges of the projects under two different mining scenarios under flex commodity prices some of the values it spits out are a bit laughable i want to say uh the two valuation scenarios are essentially based on life of mine figures provided by newcrest to amc amc was the technical expert um of the of the independent expert report AMC, though, they make some tweaks to the assumptions themselves, including inflating Haveron mining costs 30%, among some other things. Um, so let's just point out why I think these numbers are a bit preposterous. And funnily enough, the independent expert, Grant Samuel, even point these things out themselves. <laughs> so let's start with the implied value of Haveron based on the see-through value from Greatland Gold's share price. Grant Sam, you spell this out. They say it'd be one point, US $1.4 billion is just the implied value of Havron based on Greatland Gold share price. Wicked. <laughs> it's a bit different to what they um, quote for the for the for, for, for Havron plus Telfer, right? And if you look at the brokers that cover Greatland Gold, they'll point to a, a value of Havron of of three billion as a giant block cave, though, and noting those reports uh, haven't been updated in a, a bit while. Dated, yeah. And um and the, there's not too many brokers that cover them. <laughs> but mm. But there's some other points to talk about as well when we're, when we're considering valuation. And they actually relate to the 5% um, interest you know, option that we talked about earlier. You mentioned at the start of the segment. It was announced in March 2022 that Greatland Gold made an offer for 5% of Haveron for US $85 million. That would imply a US $1.7 billion valuation for 100% of Haveron. Five months later... An independent valuer penned 5% at US 60 million, implying US 1.2 billion for 100% of Haveron. At the time, Newcross, Newcrest declined to exercise that option. Um, and, I, you know, granted, Newcrest declining it signals that New, Newcrest are trying to, you know, portray that it's worth less. The independent valuer is saying it's there and Greatland was saying that it was worth worth more in in their bid, so it's very much in their interest to do it that way, isn't it? And it's that historical context that I think is relevant here. Newcrest, they, in my mind, had an incentive to talk down the value of Haveron, so that Greatland Gold's value would decline, and then you know Newcrest could have achieved a takeover of Greatland Gold. Um, at a much more attractive value if if Haveron, if, um, if if they if the market started thinking that way, yeah. And Newcrest played some games when it came to their own PFS that they released on on Haveron. It had a super lowball NPV of um, you know about US two hundred thirty million bucks, which which is yeah not at all in line with some of the other values that we we mentioned earlier. And you can you can sort of contrast that with 
how you know almost out of hand the the Great Land Gold share price got. You know, yeah. and, it, and this is, you know, it's not in that period immediately after discovery that it got carried away. It's you know, it's a few years after that, 2020, 2021, where the the share price got you know th- well over three, four, f- mm. five odd times of where it is today. It's fascinating, right? And my gut feel is that in the absence of the deal with Newmont, so Newcrest emerging with Newmont, but in the absence of that, I bet that Newcrest's ultimate plan was to acquire Greatland Gold, right? Um, but now Telfar is set to become a Newmont asset and I bet Newmont simply don't care about it that much. I bet Newmont actually looked to offload Telfar and collectively probably that 30% of Havron or the 70% of Havron that they have. Tied um, up together. T- yeah, because it's so insignificant for them now. And I think we should try and make some predictions about what happens to Telfar and Havron now that we're here. I reckon, look, Telfar standalone is, in my mind, not really an asset you want to own, right? It's um, It's got a giant mill we talked about, which looks increasingly tough to ever fill, given, you know, the, the, the short mine life remaining there. Um, of course, you know, Havron is, is underground, so it's actually going to be hard to deliver enough or there's other sources you could pull in, but it's just such a big mill that, you know, sustainably filling it for a long period of time looks really, really tricky. Combine that with the closure liability, it's probably one that I personally wouldn't want to be exposed to. Um, you know, I heard that Telfer, you know, used a large cyanide heap leach until the early 2000s which um, complicates things quite a bit um, when it comes to sort of these, these closure and rehab obligations that that companies are, are left with. So all that sort of said, Trav, you've got the, you know, what will soon be the new owner, Newmont, and they've got these assets and they're, they're marginal assets, very much in comparison to, to Greatland, where it's the flagship. There's not much else going for them. So from their perspective, Newmont, you'd think they're just going to do as, as little as possible and they're not, they're not in any particular rush at the moment. They're not needing to sell them straight away. You can imagine they'd sell it sooner or later. Yeah, but the bankers will be trying to make it happen as fast as possible, I'm sure. Mate. <laughs> I'm sure uh, they will. <laughs> uh, yeah, I reckon they'll spend the bare minimum on, yep. on Telfer and Havron combined and that's bad for Greatland Gold, right, because Newmont are the manager of Havron. So to get news flow for Greatland Gold, you're actually dependent on Newmont, you know, putting the pedal to the metal and making things happen there. Yeah. I think Newmont will look to sell Telfer because of those issues I talked about. And um, and I think in order to make that happen, they're probably going to have to combine it with Havron because, you know, one won't be willing to take Telfer without their the upside that comes with, with Havron in my mind. And this is the catch, right? Parties interested in, in Havron might only be interested in Havron alone. They might want to build a new mill that's actually right-sized because of the underground limitations. Yeah. Um, and for it, like, you know, ultimately avoid the complicated closure liability that comes with Telfar. Newmont might not be willing to part with Havron only and say that they're a package deal. And, you know, that leaves... Greatland Gold in a precarious situation, exposed in some ways in my mind. My ultimate prediction, mate, is um, Evolution comes in. And I think Evolution, you know, they they potentially buy both Telfer and Havron. 
I think it'd be tricky for them to get super comfortable with some of the closure parts and potentially there might be some interesting financing around that. But um, yeah, yeah, that would be my bold guess because I think Evolution might even be best poised to ultimately acquire Greatland as well in the long run because of the fact that, you know, it's a tricky proposition to be buoyant about Greatland Gold's um, equity upside when they're at the whims of Newmont progressing things. Yeah, that's that's not a bad shout. Our good friend of the show, Jake Klein, has previously stated his interest for EVN in scooping up assets that fall out the back of majors. We know that they love a byproduct credit at Evolution. They've they've sort of flexed that before. And then you look at the PFS, that came out late 2021, showed a capex of US, you know, over 380 million. You inflate that a bit to get to today. You take into account what you mentioned, potentially a block K method, and you know that's a, a pretty big uh, capex upfront cost. It's only the majors around the world that do um, block caving. So I don't think there's too many ASX players that could really afford to do this and have the capacity. You know, like potentially Northern Star could afford to, but they've got their hands full at at the likes of the Super Pit. So I'd have to say Evolution looks like a you know one of the the smarter bets out there. Yeah. I'm sure Greatland, you know, with the backing of Wailu internally, have a view on developing themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, I look at the debt facility provided by Wailu and might not be as optimistic as the rest of the market about what that means for other shareholders. Mm. Um, I'm just never all of that excited when uh, companies that don't Pre- produce pre-revenue get, cash debt. <laughs> get a debt facility because it's not always a, a great outcome for other shareholders. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. So we'll leave it at that for, for Great Land, but I've got to ask the money miners, how do you pronounce that word? <laughs> Have Ron. <laughs> you, you forgot to type the I in, in all your spellings yeah, there. I, I so just... we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I, look, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm wrong again. Oh, man. All right, let's get into Leo Lithium. So they've gone into a trading halt today. This is funny. At- Two stories not listed on ASX. This one is listed, but he's rarely trading these days, mate. <laughs> yeah, let's let's see how long this uh, trading halt lasts, mate. So yesterday they executed the equity investment agreement that they'd previously announced when they came back on the boards after a seven-week spell on the sidelines. That was only last week, I believe. So the deal was for Gangfang, the, the Chinese lithium business, to sole fund US $137 million in capital costs via a direct cash injection into the Gulamina holding company. So that's known as MLBV. So the previously arranged deal that they'd had, which was dated from May 29th, you remember, Trav, when we spoke about it, was for a placement done at a premium into Leo. That's the ASX entity, not the holding company itself, for a 9.9% stake. So the new deal will see Gangfang scoop up an additional 5% equity in the JV entity. And the sort of reasoning, they didn't give an awful lot of reasoning, but what they did say was that it was for more or less regulatory simplicity in China. So that leaves the interests at 45% Leo, 55% Gangfang, pre the Malian government taking its slice. And remember that the government in Mali is entitled to 10% free carried, and then it can buy an additional 10% at the market price. Free carry for, for anyone wondering just means that Leo is still responsible for 45% of the project costs. Yeah, that's right. So Leo remains the operator and manager despite being the, the minority shareholder versus Gangfang now. So Gangfang, here's a 
really interesting line in yesterday's announcement, which I can't quite wrap my head around. Gang Fang has agreed to assist with Mali government relations. I, I don't know what, what this exactly means. You know, fingers crossed they can help them with the, uh, the trading halt they're in today and, you know, hopefully aren't in for too long. But that was a, a, bit, a bit of a baffling line to just chuck in there. Oh, and there was one other... It is, isn't it? I mean, we talked often about the two different sets of rules that apply. Yeah. Um, I hope it's not alluding to something like that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see, mate. So on another note, Leo announced that they'd commenced their drawing down of a US $40 million debt facility that they had with Gangfang through a subsidiary. So they put in a waterfall chart. So everyone sort of focused on what this sort of, you know, the latest announcement does to their cash position, seeing as they can no longer do the DSO. The government said they can't do that and whether ultimately it means they need to raise any capital or not. So in the worst case scenario that they paint the picture of, they have to contribute a potential extra US 27 million, and we'll just flash it up on the screen, from US 43 million on hand. So they're cutting it fine, but they do give us those magical words, Trav, that we love so much, fully funded. So mm. fingers crossed that they'll be okay. And, you know, if DSO does get approved or the, the duties and taxes that they have you know said will be between 45 and 50 million US dollars don't come in as bad as expected they should be able to cruise through to first concentrate production in Q2 of calendar year 24 potential upside there yeah yeah exactly so i want to dig into this revised ownership and you know investment structure with gangfang so yeah there was two questions that i was trying to answer for myself in in reading through this Firstly, am I buying the reasoning that they're giving for this needed change in structure? So the exact wording that the company gave for why they needed to change the structure from an investment into the ASX company to an investment in the JV entity was for that it needed regulatory approvals in China that should be easier with a direct project investment. So all that said, I, I could be convinced of this. I could also be convinced that somebody, you know, within FERB or somebody else in Canberra doesn't love a placement, doesn't love the idea of a Chinese entity taking a 9.9% stake in Leo. But I'm I'm a bit confused as to why they wouldn't have known this beforehand. And, you know, Gangfang has significant experience in, in the lithium space. So I'm a bit suspect as to why this wasn't acknowledged prior and just done, you know, as the way it's now done before they announced this initial deal in May. So common theme sort of tying all these threads together is control, isn't it, JD? It sure is, mate. And talking about control, that is my second question. So the specific question that I wanted to sort of solve for myself was that is the revised deal done on appropriate terms in comparison with the, the previous deal as the company claims? So that initial deal was done on May 29th, and that was for an Aussie $106 million investment from Gangfang into Leo. The revised deal, US $137 million in capital costs to be sole funded by Gangfang in return for an additional 5% equity stake in MLBV, the JV unit. So on the plus side, you've got the updated structure, meaning that Leo avoids dilution. However, you've got the added significance that it's not just 5%, but that 5% now means that Gangfang has a controlling stake. So... It brings about the question, should Gangfang have paid a premium, you know, above what the 5% is supposedly worth 
to become the controlling partner. And I don't think we've got any better example than the case we just spoke about. You know, what would Greatland do to be in control of their own destiny there? They'd, oh. give, they'd give an arm and a leg for it. Totally. So it, it's yeah. just sort of interesting. Like my opinion is, yes, there should have been a premium paid. Definitely. And, you know, I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall to see how these conversations would have would have played out in in the boardrooms in that seven weeks that they didn't trade for. It's a big premium on having the uh, controlling interest. There's a bunch of examples you can point to around the place. Um, like the see-through value of, like, you know, Pantoro Colour is an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, Pantoro always traded a really, you know, they were both 50% joint venture partners. One had operating control, the other one didn't. It was like a giant premium. Yeah, um, exactly. On a relative basis. That's another great example. There's one other interesting detail that I wanted to touch on before around out with a couple catalysts for Leo, and that's the the varying valuations that you see in the the broker community and how they aim to capture the risk. So I won't go into too much detail, but it is interesting to see how the analysts look at the NPV analysis, how they execute the NPV analysis for Gulamina, and what discount rates they'll use. So I'll just mention a couple that I saw. You got 10% fully risked. You got 10% unrisked with a 60% risk weighting added. And at the higher end, you got 15.5% of discount rate used. So the others just sort of float somewhere in between. So, you it know. It makes a big difference here. Oh, huge. <laughs> it makes a massive difference in the price, the ultimate price target that you get. So all that said, you know, no one's really taking away in any of this discussion away from the quality of the asset. Gulamina is recognized as a quality asset. It's just, of course, in Mali. So I said I'd round out with a, with a couple catalysts. Now, the company's obviously in trading halt, so coming out of trading halt would be first and foremost on the mind of investors. But after that, potential catalysts are how that 45 to $50 million duties and taxes come out and whether they're you know on the upside if they are less than expected. Getting any approval for DSO, I'm sure is something they're looking out for. If they're getting grandfathered by the mining code, so Mali came in with a new mining code, if they get actual confirmation that the old mining code is what's applicable, that'd be a, a huge bonus for shareholders. And this is a big one, and it might even have to do with why they're in trading halt today. If they get confirmation that they are not on the hook for anything related to Firefinch or Marilla. And lastly, just ramp up. They are in that ramp up phase. Mining is and construction is still underway. So if things progress smoothly, then that is a bit of a catalyst for for the stock as well. So all that said, we'll see how the the rest of the trading halt goes for them. Let's hope it's a short one, mate. Because <laughs> let's hope so, mate. I reckon Leo shareholders are sick of being in limbo. <laughs> yeah, they've had a had a tough time of late. They have indeed. That was wicked, mate. Well done, mate. That was that was great. Awesome. Good stuff on on great land. Uh, yeah, hope you've got a decent weekend lined up. Mate, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, we got a couple of sponsors to thank. We got Terra. Exploration, uh, Anytime Exploration Services, K-Drill, JP Search, and the newest of all, Smack. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, guys. Hoodaroo. Hoodaroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation, and needs.